Well, friends, we are finishing up, concluding a series of messages called Advent Armor, and you see we've progressed on the uh, banner there from John the Baptist and the Belt of Truth, and now we're coming up on Simeon and Anna and prayers in the Spirit. We have been calling those um, armor of God pieces, if you will, Advent Armor, and uh, you see that the verse we're focused on this day is in your bulletins, and it's uh, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, especially verse 18, so the first part of what is written there. And uh, you see that there's Old Testament readings as well um, from Isaiah and, Psalm and Psalms and Ezekiel. And you may read those on your own time, but uh, we're going to focus uh, particularly on um, Luke 2, 25 through 40. And um, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to that passage, Luke 2, the familiar nativity sequence of uh, stories, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading that a little later in the uh, message, so have your Bibles at the ready then. We'll actually begin the reading at uh, Luke 2 verse 22 and go through 40, but uh, that'll come in the middle of the message. Beloved in Christ, it was the shot heard round the world. And I'm not talking about the slap heard round the world when actor Will Smith wound up and slapped comedian Chris Rock in the face for insulting Will's wife at last year's Academy Awards. The celebrities all assumed it had to be the slap heard round the world. That's what it was called because, well, everyone cares deeply what celebrities are up to 24-7. At least they think they like to have everyone think about them that way. And here I am starting off a message with it. So shame on me. No, that was, that was a, simply a misappropriation of the original term, the shot heard around the world. Now, old-time baseball fans, 1951, got a bit closer to the spirit of the original phrase when the infamous game-winning home run was hit by New York Giant, that's how old this is, Bobby Thomas against the Brooklyn Dodgers, which won the game and the pennant that year for the Giants. They called it the shot, the home run shot, heard round the world as millions of baseball fans watched it happen on TV or heard it on their radios, including thousands stationed in Korea listening on Armed Forces Radio, Korean wartime. The shot heard round the world. But still, we're not back far enough. The phrase originated in the imagination of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was actually thinking about a different war when he wrote it, thinking about the Revolutionary War. Emerson, for a time, lived about a stone's throw away from the Old North Bridge in Concord, Massachusetts, where the first official battle took place. You know it, I'm sure, as the Battle of Lexington and Concord. Emerson really got into the spirit of that battle that he had heard his grandpa tell him all about when he watched it happen 50 years earlier, the grandpa did. Emerson wrote the poem, Concord Hymn. It included these words, by the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled, here once the embattled farmers stood and fired the shot 
heard round the world. And there it is, the inception of that phrase by Ralph Waldo Emerson, the shot heard round the world that began the war for America's independence, the war that won our independence, the shot heard round the world. Maybe you've heard of it. But how about the prayer heard round the world? I know where you think I'm going after the NFL ESPN event from last week's Monday night football broadcast, the prayer heard round the world, and we'll get there. But here's a prayer in that same spirit that maybe you haven't heard of, but it was also a recent prayer heard round the world. Isabel Spruce was standing inside of what they call a buffer zone in Birmingham, England, a zone around an abortion clinic where you may not protest. And as Isabel Spruce stood silently within that zone a few feet, she was asked by an officer if she was praying. And not wanting to lie, she said, I might be praying in my head, a few moments more, and she was arrested for antisocial behavior that included protesting and engaging in an act that is intimidating to service users of the abortion clinic. She was standing still and praying silently in her head, something she had been doing every week for the last 20 years. She raised her thoughts about abortion and the women she saw entering the clinic. She silently raised those thoughts and those women up to God in prayer, silently, her pr spirit praying in step with God's Holy Spirit. It was a silent prayer, and if you ask me, a prayer indeed heard round the world. A prayer heard round the world. And then there is the former Detroit Lion, Dan Orlovsky, now a sports commentator for ESPN, quite well known until now for being one of three quarterbacks to lead the 0-16 Detroit Lions of 2008, but most well known for losing track of where he was during his very first official start with Detroit and stepping too far back out of the back of the end zone, causing a safety that awarded two points and the ball back to the Vikings. Since 2008, that was what Orlovsky was most well known for. Until Monday night, when he, a strong Christian man, prayed out loud the prayer heard round the world. Because right there on ESPN, after the terrifying sight of Buffalo Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, collapsing due to cardiac arrest, and the medical personnel working on him on the field for at least 10 minutes or more, in the middle of that were sports commentators gravely reporting what was going on, as much as they knew anyway at the time. In the middle of it, we cut to the studio where commentator Dan Orlovsky, visibly shaken, says this, maybe this is not the right thing to do, but it's just on my heart that I want to pray for DeMar Hamlin right now. I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, 
that are hard because we believe that you're God and that coming to you and praying to you has impact. We're sad, we're angry, we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give him peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. National television. ESPN in some ways, a worldwide stage. And he prayed. It was the prayer heard round the world. Twitter erupted. Of course, most very supportive of what Orlovsky did. Really, the circumstances were awful. And the right person was in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Thanks, Mike. Maybe you heard about it. The prayer heard round the world. That's what they're calling it. Maybe you heard about it. Maybe you heard the prayer live. Most importantly, though, we believe God heard that prayer. God heard, God answered this prayer heard round the world. Which brings us to some other prayers prayed by prayers, two older folks, Simeon and Anna, both known for praying for years around the temple area in Jerusalem during the time leading up to the birth of Jesus. So let's read Luke's short journal entry about Simeon and Anna, these prayers that he included in his gospel, Luke 2 Verse 22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him, that's Jesus, of course, to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So this is about 40 days after Jesus was born. He was uh, circumcised, likely around the eighth day, but then this is uh, 32 or so days after that. So he's about six weeks old. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, so for Israel's comfort, right? Because Israel had been pushed down so often, and now most late, late, lately by the Roman Empire. And he's waiting for comfort, for some kind of comfort for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And you might think, well, wait a minute, Pentecost didn't happen yet. How can the Holy Spirit be on him? Yes, he had a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit upon him. How about that? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. You think Simeon was a man of prayer? <laughs> that tells you he was right there. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The Messiah. The one who would be the consolation for Israel. The Messiah, the Christ, the King who would come and make things all right again. 
the one they had been waiting for, the Jews. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Imagine it. Think of it. Scooped him up in his arms, six weeks old, saying, Sovereign Lord, he's praying, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, which is him saying, I can die in peace now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So this little one, Simeon knows, this is, this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the one, in fact, who will be a revelation to the Gentiles too, not just the Jews. Salvation has come. The Messiah has come. The one they've waited for for 2,000 years. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Indeed, right? The falling and rising of many in Israel... Think of it, the falling of the Pharisees. Jesus spoke against them, judged them. But the lifting up of those who were poverty-stricken, those who were sinners, those who were tax collectors, those who needed a Savior, the rising of those. But think of it also, the falling of the devil. Now, Simeon doesn't talk about that, but surely that's part of it. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus came also to be judge, too, didn't he? And a sword will pierce your own soul, too, Mary. Mary is going to be, in some way, Simeon doesn't know how, she's going to have her heart broken. And, of course, we know how, as she saw her son crucified. There was also a prophet, Anna the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. This is a prayer, isn't it? Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. She prayed and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She knows, too, this is the Redeemer. This is the Messiah who will make things right. And then when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, went up to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Beloved, we're... Simeon's and Anna's prayers heard round the world. These two relatively obscure unknowns, I'd like to suggest to you today that they were. Sure they were. 
They were heard by Mary, Joseph, and whoever else was standing nearby. They were recorded by Luke and the Holy Spirit to be included as part of the nativity sequence of stories in likely the most famous book of chapter of the Bible, Luke chapter 2, in God's Word, which is the best-selling book of all time right here. Included so that their prayers could be heard round the world. Simeon prayed, I'm seeing, I'm holding God's salvation in my arms. Sovereign Lord, you promised me this. And Anna giving thanks to God on the spot for this redemption child. And her prayer impelled her to keep speaking about him to all who were waiting for that redemption. Were these prayers heard round the world? Oh, yes, they were. For surely their prayers, too, were heard by God. And that's the most important thing, isn't it? They are prayers heard round the world, surely. What about our prayers? Are our prayers in the Spirit, as we pray them, heard round the world? They are heard by God, so... Doesn't that qualify them as prayers heard round the world? But let's back up for a second or two. I want to make sure we see the connection now to the armor of God. Our, our, our Advent armor, as we've affectionately been calling it, and the final piece of that armor of God that we put on is prayer, isn't it? For our struggle against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, the devil's schemes, the, his lies, the spiritual forces of evil, the days of evil, the flaming arrows of the evil one, we're completely outfitted from head to toe now with God's armor, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. We've got our armor on, and we've seen the pieces of armor and their connection to the nativity story, John the Baptist, the shepherds, Joseph and Mary, the angel Gabriel, and of course Jesus, the word of God, our armor's on. And the apostle Paul says, though, one more thing, adds one more piece of armor, prayer. Prayer in the spirit. A piece of armor that we are connecting with Simeon and Anna who enter the nativity picture just 40 days after Jesus is born. Prayers in the spirit is the armor piece we can put on in this cosmic war between God and the devil, a war already won, of course, by God as Jesus went to the cross and paid for sin and defeated death and the devil. But the devil fights on in this losing battle for him. For he wants to inflict as much damage as he can before Jesus comes again and does away with him forever. So we fight on too with our armor on. And today Simeon and Anna remind us that prayers in the spirit are the final and the vital part of that armor. What are the prayers in the spirit anyway? What are they? What is the Apostle Paul getting at in Ephesians 6? That's the words you see in your bulletin, Ephesians 6. Prayers in the spirit. Surely our prayers in the spirit are simply prayers we pray with the help of the Holy Spirit. Listen to that Romans 8, the beautiful Romans 8, the couple verses in there, 26 and 27 in Romans 8, that Paul gives us. Again, it's Paul. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
So what do we have? The Holy Spirit, God, who is living in believers, helps our prayer lives, our weak, pitiful prayer lives, our ignorant prayer lives. We don't know what to pray half the time. We're in a spiritual battle against rulers and authorities, powers in this dark world. Do you know how you should be praying against that? You and I don't, but God does. The Holy Spirit does. He helps us in our prayers. He intercedes on behalf of us, and he takes our words, and he groans them to God the Father. He infuses, if you will, his prayer into ours with ours. Think of it. But the text goes on, verse 27, and he who searches our hearts... God the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. Of course he does. The Holy Spirit and the Father are one. God knows his every thought, and the Spirit intercedes for us. Verse 27. In John 17, Jesus, who is also God, says, I pray for them, the ones you've given me. I pray, Father, that you'll protect them. You'll keep them safe by the power of your name. Jesus, who is God, prays that God will protect us from the evil one, that God will sanctify us, make us holy, that God will make us one, complete unity. He prays that we'll be with God someday when he comes again, that we'll see his glory, and he prays that we will be filled with God's love. That's Jesus' prayer for his disciples then, and for his disciples now, us. Jesus' prayer for us. If that is Jesus' prayer, Jesus, who is God, you better believe that is some of the sub same subject matter of the Holy Spirit's groans for us as he helps us in our prayers, because the Holy Spirit is also God. So we pray in the Spirit with the Spirit's help in our weakness, interceding for us, infusing his prayer to ours. Think of that. But now very quickly, what are prayers in the Spirit supposed to look like? Characteristics we can understand. We can't understand the Spirit's wordless groans, but we can understand these four simple things the Apostle Paul tells us about prayer right there in Ephesians 6 in your bulletin. It is not only spirit-directed, as we said, it is these four things as well. First, it's continual. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That's what it says. Now, that doesn't mean we're on our knees in prayer 24 hours a day, but it does mean that our lives can be a prayer. In everything we do, we are breathing out thanks and praise and confession and petition and intercession and supplication. Think of how transformative this is. For example, for the time you spend waiting in the checkout line at the grocery store, even if you have one kid on your hip, one kid in the cart, and one kid grabbing candy off the impulse buy shelves next to the conveyor belt, that's a time of prayer. Yes, you pray for your own sanity, but also for the depressed person directly in front of you. It's continual prayer. Second, prayer is varied. Pray in the Spirit with all kinds of requests. 
Some of us have prayer lists in front of us for our regular time of prayer. But think of all the other options for prayer that lie in front of us. And sometimes in the silent times of prayer, when we keep our mouths shut and just listen, the Holy Spirit can move us to pray for something we'd never think to pray for otherwise. Prayer is varied. Third, prayer is persistent. Paul writes, always keep on praying. I think mothers, fathers who become grandmothers and grandfathers and then become great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers and they pray persistently for decades. Decades for the salvation of a child. God says, no matter what, keep on praying always. Persistent. And fourth, Paul writes, prayer is for all the Lord's people. Now, we pray for others, too, who don't know about Jesus, but we are told here to pray for each other, for the people all around you right now, the ones you talk to every week, the ones you haven't said more than two words to all last year, for our little ones, for our older folk, for our youth, for our couples, for our singles, for the marriages, for our folks who work, for our folks who go to school, for those thinking about going into the mission field or ministry, for those struggling with mental health, with their identity, with their sins, with their loneliness. All the Lord's people need our prayers. We need each other's prayers. All the Lord's people. Well, those four things. There was another prayer this week. Perhaps you heard that Emeritus Pope Benedict XVI passed away. His last words before he slipped into unconsciousness before his death a few hours later were in Italian, of course, and were simply these words, Signore, ti amo. Lord, I love you. I've got a question. Was Pope Benedict's prayer heard round the world? Of course it was. Every interested Catholic heard it, and not a few of us Protestants did too. We heard in his prayer his adoration for God. Lord, I love you. It was a prayer heard round the world. For now, you've heard it too. But as we said early on in the message, most importantly, God heard it. His adoration of the Lord Jesus was heard by God. Lord, I love you. That's really what prayer in so many ways is. It's, it's telling God we love him. We praise him, we, we thank him, we trust him, we ask, seek, and knock on him. We believe in him, we adore him for what he has done for us, for coming and for dying and for rising and for ascending and for returning someday. Pope Benedict, Is Isabel Spruce, Dan Orlovsky, Simeon, Anna, you and me. Lord, I love you. It's our prayer today. It is our prayer in the Spirit this Lord's Day. Our prayers in the Spirit. And that, beloved church, 
is the armor God gives us to wear, not just this day, but every day, praying in the Spirit, prayers heard round the world. Amen. Beloved, before we pray, please, um, please listen just a bit more. Beth Fellinger is writing the Today Devotionals this month, a devotional that the Christian Reformed Church puts out. And right now she's writing about verses in the book of Ephesians. Actually, this morning's was about the armor of God. But one day last week she used Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. It's a prayer by the Apostle Paul for the church. And to go with it, she told a story about a woman and her two children who went to see an older woman of the church to visit. And that older woman had a big jar of jelly beans on her table. And she noticed the two little ones, of course, hungrily looking at it. And she said to them, would you like one? Both kids nodded like crazy. And the little sister, she politely reached into the jar and she pulled out a single little jelly bean, red her favorite color. She was so happy until she saw her brother who reached into the jar and grabbed an entire handful of jelly beans. And she wished she had done the same. Now, Fettinger makes the point that in this Ephesians prayer, the Apostle Paul is praying for us to imagine going deeper than the polite relationship we may tend to have with Jesus Christ wants us to live fully. He wants us to be able to settle in and feel at home in our relationship with him. He wants us to know how much he loves and cares for us, and that will change how we live out our faith each day. He wants us to be grounded in the truth of his love so that we're not afraid to access all the power and strength he has for us. No matter what our circumstances are, Christ is always offering us all of himself. So dig into that jar with both hands was the point. Now picture that, beloved, that little story and what God has for us as it may relate to your prayer life, to your prayers, to your prayers in the Spirit. In our prayer lives, are we grabbing hold of that armor, grabbing hold of God with both hands in prayer throughout the day, or just politely praying a short prayer one day, a quick prayer a few days later, a tiny prayer every so often. What looks better to you? Now you're ready to hear Paul's prayer. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to you, Lord God, who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, 
according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. All God's people say, amen.